most men in the industry would be absolutely terrified now of doing anything because they would be they would be in fear of being outed because they know now we live in a culture of you know of basically telling our truth it drives wives wicked it makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be a mother. I've got something to apologize for. I wore my good suit because it was plain and neat. Afraid of not knowing what is proper? This yellow fluffo is such a short shortening. Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. All right, Claire, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Julia Taylor Stanley, novelist, songwriter, composer, record and film producer, and director. And if this isn't enough, she also runs her own independent film company, Artemis Films. She's well known for movies like These Foolish Things, Coriolanus, The Tempest, and Ferrari, Race to Immortality. And she joins me now. Julia, where do I start? I feel a bit like Forrest Gump and I've been given a box of chocolates and I don't know where to begin and which aspect of your life to choose. Oh, crikey. Well, I just want to say hearing that intro, it sounded like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but, but the Renaissance woman. <laughs> um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I grew up in the country and I loved the country and wildlife and painting and I played the piano by ear from the age of two. So music was always, um, you know, a very big part of my life. Um, I don't know what I dreamed of. I suppose I, for me, the most important thing was being creative and being happy. You know, those were the two things that were really important to me as a child. And, you know, my childhood was, you know, like most people's, you know, not without its um, ups and downs. Um, so um, it was quite challenging at times. But I always really took refuge in being able to play the piano or, you know, go for a long walk with my dog or, you know, whatever it was, whether it was riding the pony that I shared with another girl. You know, when you grow up in the country, I think you have a a very good grounding, really. If you if you basically escape to nature, it, it grounds you, you know. And even though I, I had no idea what that was as a child, I found myself constantly being drawn to to nature, really. So... Amazing you could play the piano at such a young age. I mean, you were a very successful songwriter and record producer, mm -hmm. but it was a horse in a riding accident that actually changed your destiny, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it did actually. I had gone to try out a stallion, don't laugh, and this horse was 16 one if it was a day and had been on box rest for three weeks. So I ended up half on him. If I'd been on him, I would have been okay, but I ended up half on him and he reared up. And I went out the back door and he, it basically, I broke my left wrist and he, um, you know, sort of basically cracked my ankle, my right ankle. So I was completely crocked for, you know, God knows how long. And so I discovered that when my wrist healed, I didn't have the same positioning with my hands. You have to bend your wrist at a certain angle. And I found I couldn't do that anymore. Um, it didn't stop my music career completely, but it definitely changed it. So while I was recuperating, I, I, um, I decided to write the novel. You know, writing became a sort of passion. And then I wrote my first screenplay um, some, some years later. And then 
now obviously combine, you know, the writing and the producing and directing all together. But um, I do miss music and I, I haven't done any for quite some time now. Yeah, I mean, you really have had amazing creative out- outpourings over the years. How challenging has it been, uh, particularly being a woman? Because obviously we've had a lot of publicity in recent times with the Me Too movement. Did you find it yeah. particularly difficult being a woman? Well, the music business in the 1980s, when I was a songwriter and a, and a record producer, I mean, I was the only female record producer in, in the world in the early 1980s. And that was incredibly challenging. You know, I was working with, you know, some pretty big rock stars writing for, you know, Roger Daltrey and Meatloaf. Um, they were wonderful, by the way, both of them, you know, never had an issue with them. It was more the record company executive side of it where they would, you know, just throw the weight around, really. You know, you're in a studio, you're in a recording studio. You've got a great big leather couch running the length of a wall. You're, you know, you're kind of small and blonde with big boobs and they think you're the entertainment at the end of a mix, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I developed a very, very sharp, because I did ballet as well as a child, so I developed a very sharp right knee and it came in really handy. And then I went to live in, in um, Nashville for a year and, I mean, the culture in Nashville at that time, um, you know, a lot of redneck country musicians was was far worse but again, you know, the word went round that, you know, I knew what I was doing and, you know, and by the way, don't mess with her. But I think, you know, my, my response to that was to get a boyfriend who was six foot one. And <laughs> <laughs> don't mess with them either. Yeah. Was it the same in the movie business as well as, I'm, I'm assuming it was the same in the movies as the, as the music? Well, not in my experience, no. Um, oh. I mean, I, I've been, I think I've been pretty fortunate that I've always been treated, you know, well, to my, to my knowledge with a degree of respect. There is some, there is still obviously a culture of um, some men being misogynistic towards women in a powerful position. And as, as certainly as a film producer, you're, you know, you're in a, you're in a position of power, but, you know, I mean, I, you know, I did a movie with, well, two movies actually, in, involving Harvey Weinstein didn't um, didn't encounter you know anything, but I was probably too, way too old for him. But um, you know, I I uh, I think my my reaction to anybody that tries to be a bully is that I will always stand up to them. Yeah, I don't care who they are. I don't care if yeah. they're the most powerful people in Hollywood. Do you feel it's beginning to change? I think it is. I think most of all because I think. Most men in the industry would be absolutely terrified now of doing anything because they would be they would be in fear of being outed. Because they know now we live in a culture of, you know, of basically telling our truth. Um, you were the producer of Coriolanus, a very masculine story, of course, and The Tempest, perhaps a, a bit of both. How how difficult was it to persuade people to give you money and also to hold the line in terms of, you know, your boundaries and, and overseeing such a huge project because a, a producer is a massive responsibility, isn't it? Well, it is. I mean, I, the, of course, there were other producers on both projects. I mean, Lynn Hendy on The Tempest is an amazing female producer. She just recently produced The Glorias for Julie Taymor. Um, I think with with The Tempest, I came onto it quite late in the day to kind of bring in the extra money. And it was very much Lynn and, and Julie had been working on it for a long time. Um, but, you know, there were some issues that the Bond company 
insisted I was on set every day, which was a problem when the gap fell out during pre-production and I had to go back to LA. So, you know, there, I, I, when you I, say the gap, you mean gap finance? The gap finance. Yes. Yeah, sorry for, for the, for those of you who are not in the business yet, yeah, gap finance is when, you know, usually involving big banks, um, you know, who, uh, who can set some pretty stringent, some stringent kind of parameters down for lending the money. But I've never found it a problem with, uh, going out there and persuading the people to get the money. The issue now is that the money is just not, you know, there, there is there is far less money. I mean, it's always the equity in a film that is very difficult to get hold of, and that's becoming, you know, more and more difficult, especially in this COVID crisis. But I think with, well, with Coriolanus, you know, Gabby Tanner, who is a brilliant producer, had worked with Rafe on it for some time. And again, I came in to kind of, you know, get it going and complete everything. They've been trying to make it for a long time and hadn't been able to. And luckily enough, I had some connections that enabled us to make the film. And it was, yes, a very, very male story. Um, but I didn't think of it like that. You know, I mean, The Tempest, obviously, originally, you know, of course, Prospero is a man and Julie Tamal turned it around with Helen Mirren to be female, um, you know, creating Prospera. But I never think of any project really as being, um, you know, male dominated or not. I just love great stories. And obviously Shakespeare being one of the greatest storytellers of all time. I think that was what attracted me to those two projects because I love Shakespeare and it was brilliant to be able to bring them to the screen. Um, Ferrari raced immortality. Now, I know your father was a big motor racing fan. Is that why you were attracted to doing the Enzo Ferrari story? Well, it sort of it it, it came about as a, a, a chance a chance meeting at the Italian embassy um, with uh, a chap who um, was you know very connected to the Agnellis and to, to Ferrari, who said. You know, there's, there's, there are these producers trying to make this film about Ferrari, and and it, the, you know they've wrote me in, and it's not going well. And can you have a look at it? And and so I did, and I, you know, I agreed to sort of come on board initially as a consultant to try and help them, but they needed a new script. And um, but the but the story of Peter Collins and Mike Hawthorne, again, I mean, it's a very male, you could say, a very male, you know, testosterone-driven piece, but. What attracted me to it more than anything was, you know, this incredible central love story at the heart of it between Louise Collins and, and, and Peter Collins. And um, so, you know, then, you know, six years of, you know, ongoing machinations later and and suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous, you know, uh, film financing. You know, we managed to get the um, the documentary done and sold it to Universal. And I don't know now whether I will make the feature because it's going to be a $60 million film. And Michael Mann is making, you know, his Ferrari film. And it just is, uh, as I said, you know, it's it's such a difficult climate out there right now. You know, I think we're, we're putting the idea of doing the feature on the back burner, but it certainly would make an incredible feature because, as you know, if you've seen it, I mean, the men were all so glamorous and it's such a tragic well, they were like yeah, film story. stars. They were, yeah, I, yeah. And I had no idea that between the fifties and sixties, thirty-nine drivers were killed. I mean, thankfully yes. that wouldn't happen now. But, no, uh, no, no, no. I absolutely loved it because um, one of my one of my assignments as a young reporter was I had to learn how to be a racing driver, and there was me and the Selena Scotts of the world trotting out in our 
you know, our hats and those, you know, all in ones trying to look glamorous in a Formula F1 car. And we had to walk the race and make a straight line out of a bend. And I, I mean, I'm, you know, obviously I'm nothing compared to them, but I, I think unless you've actually been in one of those cars and seen the course, you don't, don't really have a sense of just how dangerous it is. Well, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the Nürburgring, you know, where where sadly Peter lost his life. I mean, one of the most dangerous in the world. So, but it, it we had an incredible time making the film. I mean, um, you know, Daryl Goodrich, the director, was amazing to work with. I mean, it was one of one of the most joyous experiences that I've had in filmmaking. And um, you know, it was it was just incredible. I mean, finding you know two of the rare um, Ferraris, you know, the original, the original cars that had been, um, you know, sort of, I can't say restored because they were sort of a bit, um, a bit Frankenstein-esque in the way they'd been constructed. But, you know, the main thing was when those engines started up, when we were filming at Brands Hatch and those engines started up, I mean, everybody, you know, in the tower ran down to <laughs> see them because they just make the most unbelievable noise and uh, but it was incredibly challenging i mean all the race sequences the period race sequences they had to all be mute because it was all um you know recorded 1950s commentary so i had to match all the different engines um with recordings of the engines you know 24 tracks of engines i really love the device also that you just had the, the footage of the of the men talking and people talking about them you didn't see until right to the end you just saw some of the what they call talking heads I love that device I thought it was really great yeah we made that uh, decision uh, Daryl and I very early on in the process in the editing process you know because I wanted it to be completely immersive um, mm. and yeah music and sound I mean obviously I think my my producing and musical skills you know, came in quite handy with the the creation of, um, you know, creating the uh, engines for some of those period races because obviously, you know, being a musician as well, I was able to match each of the engines correctly and apparently Sir Paul Vesti was very impressed that I'd done that. So, so that was really great. But, I mean, in a cinema, it was, it was very, um, you know, visceral emotionally to watch. It, it struck me as being a very spiritual film. The fact that Michael Hawthorne thought he only had a few years left to live, and Ferrari saying that one must keep working continuously or one thinks of death. I couldn't help thinking throughout the film that these guys were kind of leaving their legacy to this, to kind of, it was almost like living life to the full. And I just wondered, did you, did you have a sense of any spirituality in the, while you were making the film at all? Well, yeah, we did actually. So, I mean, so what Ferrari famously said was, you know, win or die, you will be immortal. Um, you know, which is in, an incredible statement to make. And, um, you know, as you know from knowing me, I'm a very spiritual person and very connected with spirit. And when we were at Brand, well, it's uh, several times actually, but um, very pointedly, when we were at Brand's Hatch, <laughs> after we'd shot the. Uh, one of the main racing sequences with the two Ferraris, um, we, which was an amazing experience being on the back of a camera truck in the rain going at a hundred and something miles an hour with those two Ferraris coming up behind us. Uh, we went into this, that, that I'd sort of um, organised some lunch for everybody in, you know, one of the sort of main dining areas at Brown's Hatch and all the lights kept going off. Really? And that happened a number of times and I would say to Daryl, oh, that's Peter. <laughs> 
And whenever we were with Louise, it didn't matter wherever we were filming, we filmed at the RAC club, all the lights in the room kept going off. No way. So we kind of felt, you know, something. And Louise said that she could feel Peter really strongly. So it's amazing, actually, that, you know, when you're, I think when you're, um, you know, you're working on something the same with, 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 you know, um, w- which we'll get onto, but with Alagada, with interviewing Sylvette David, who's, who's a very spiritual person who I think you might interview too, but she could really feel the presence of Picasso when we were interviewing her, which was amazing. So I think it's, you know, whenever people have passed on, I don't, I, I don't necessarily think that they cease to exist. I think that they stay around. I have a sense that you're very open and very attuned to things. So does that mean when you come across a story, you you see how you react to it spiritually, or is it just because you think about the commercial side? Or, or what, how do you actually decide that this is what I'm going to put all my passion and effort into? I think the whole thing is if you're going to write anybody's story, and and you know, I do have the misfortune of having three biopics in our slate at the moment. And I say misfortune because um, it's very, very disciplined when you're working on adapting any kind of biography or autobiography. I mean, it's, it's, you can't kind of go off radar and, and, and do what you want. You know, you can't go off, off script, so to speak, you know, you, you've got to be very respectful and you've got to really like the person that you're writing the, you know, the script for or the story about. I, I think with Anything that we do, yes, there has to be. It, 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 I have to be able to see it, and I think that's right. another another part of the spirituality. You've got to be able to see everything. You've got to be able to feel it. You've got to be able to see it. In some cases, writing about people who've passed on, you know, as in the case of Peter and Mike. So yeah, you've got to be able to see it. I wonder if Netflix has somehow become the religion of the now with people kind of flocking to be entertained during this this lockdown period and that perhaps they learn from content rather than religious texts. Is is religion on the way out, do you think? God, I hope not. I really hope not because an awful lot of spirituality comes from, you know, the same source of, of, of you know, Buddha and, and, and Christianity, if you think about it all comes down to the same uh, principles, if you like. If you look at some of the the fundamentals of, you know, Buddhism and Christianity, it's the same. It's, you know, it's be kind and do no harm. Um, so I hope to God that um, that's not the case. But I think people definitely can find their way through content to well, st- particularly uh, uh, stories, we we love stories, don't yes. we? Yes, we love being told stories. Yeah, uh, and I think I think people can definitely be influenced by content, perhaps to to go and seek out more about a certain spiritual practice or a, a religion. I think that's definitely true. Julia, you, you've had such an impressive uh, film career to date. You've you've uh, work with amazing stars like Helen Mirren, Ray Fiennes, Lauren Bacall. Oh, they're amazing to work with. The bigger the star, the more incredibly professional uh, they are. Um, I mean, they're, they're all a joy to work with. Um, 
there you, you will always come up against you know the odd the odd one that might be a bit difficult but usually they're they're more on the way up or they're they're, they're a lower level than than the big stars the big stars are you know they just get, they get on with the job basically and they're lovely you know to work with so no i've i've had a great time with all of them you wouldn't that, that this awful word beginning with r you would never consider retiring would you oh god no no <laughs> well definitely retire yes eventually retiring from from filmmaking for sure um i mean it's very very challenging um pretty stressful at times Yes, but I wouldn't retire. You know, I mean, I will, I will write. I have a big, big project that I want to write, big TV project. So, no, I would never get, I would never give up writing. I would like to get back to music too when life calms down a bit. But no, I mean, I, I think if you look at a lot of, a lot of producers, people like, you know, the, the wonderful Jeremy Thomas, who's, you know, just keeps going again <laughs> all the time. I mean, producers tend not to retire, but I would certainly like in a few years to be going back to doing more music and, and, and writing. You've done so much so far. What what is your on your uh, on your wish list going forward? Where would you like to be in, say, ten years' time? Yeah, there's that's the TV series, a very very big story, um, which I which is a Second World War story, which I can't say too much about because it's too nickable, but very very big story, um, which is going to be a sort of combination of Downton Abbey and Band of Brothers, um, and that's fictional, um, but. Um, yeah, I see myself. I'd like to be in ten years' time. I'd like to be, you know, uh, going back to more novel writing and music. And uh, you know, I have a beautiful house now on a hill, as you know, in Devon, in in, in with lots of acres. Um, so I can't imagine a better house to live in than this. But I'd just like to have a slightly gentler life in ten years' time, or either slightly gentler or a lot more gentle, <laughs> depending on what's on my plate at that time. But um, no, I think, uh, yeah, I think you have to keep going, don't you, basically? You do. Have you got any advice you'd give to other women who might be listening to this, who, who fancy a career in the film business? Is, is there anything that you wish you knew then that you, you know now that you can pass on? Oh, God, I could write a book on that. Um, I think uh, you need a lot of energy. and. The only advice I would give is always be authentic. Don't let people, you know, force you into a direction that you don't want to go in. I'm not talking about, you know, sexual predatory, but um, behavior. But, um, you know, do what you're passionate about, you know. But if you have an opportunity to get onto a production and, and, and learn other aspects of production, do it. You know, say yes to everything. That's my advice. And if you, and it, and if you don't love it and you're not passionate about it, move on. And I want to return to your riding accident because I, I have, I mean, to play by ear from the age of two and to be really into music and then that riding accident really changing your destiny. Presumably you don't have any regrets because you've done so much else uh, since then. No, I don't, I don't, I don't regret the, 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 you know, the kind of changes in the course of my professional destiny because at the end of the day, the experiences have been so varied and so amazing um, that, you know, it's just really great. You, you do something else and then you move on to the next thing, you know. So but the music is always, you know, it's always there. And it's always I, I have the, the joy of knowing that I can get back to it. You know, when, when I'm in my dotage, I'll, I'll, I'll twiddle about on the piano and might 
you know, write another classical piece or something, you know, I mean, uh, I, um, I think once you have that in your life, even if you're not playing every day or you're not, you're not, you're not doing it professionally anymore, you can always come back to it. But there's a, there's a commentator in, in uh, your documentary, Ferrari, um, the, the, the race to immortality, when one of the commentators says, how far you're prepared to lean out of the window before you fall out, kind of gives you a sense of what these drivers were like. And I have a sense of your life that you're not only are you leaning out of the window, but you're dangling by your two legs. Uh, Julia Taylor Stanley, I can definitely say that you've been there, done that. Thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I don't know about dangling for my legs. Sometimes I feel like, you know, man on wire, you know, walking between two <laughs> buildings. But um, thank you very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?